0: pretty done with Jago. I have to talk about that crazy one more time tomorrow morning and I close the book on that guy. But do you guys remember why he missed it? Why Jago missed being a hero? He missed it because he had no relationship with God at all. They had no foundation. He just didn't know God and God didn't know him. So nothing else he did mattered. Am I loud out there? I feel really loud out right here. Wow. I am loud. All right. I think I am Alright, check, check, is that better? Less obnoxious? Awesome. So, we're going to start today with the guy that's a hero before he does anything because he's got that settled. And if you don't take away anything else from what I'm going to say tonight, take away what Sarah has already said. It's about God's presence in you, acknowledging the Holy Spirit, walking in the Spirit, letting Him rise up and really guide you. The Bible says that however many are led by the Spirit of God, those are the children of God. And that's what we want to be, amen? We want to be the children of God. I believe that's in Romans 8, don't quote me on that, but there's definitely good stuff there if you check it out. God, thank you for this. Thank you for this time. Thank you for this place. Thank you for these people. It's an honor to be with you and it's an honor to talk about your word. Let me speak boldly and as I ought in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to talk about an awesome dude tonight. We're going to talk about Stephen. And I'm going to give you a heads up, a little insight into the mind of of Pastor Anthony. I decided to talk about Stephen last week when I was making the bulletin. And there's a little next week section on there. You'll see it says last week, this week, next week. And I got to that part and I said, well, Crud, I have no idea what I'm going to talk about next week. So I got to sit back and think. Well, who do I want to talk about next week? I can talk about any hero or villain villain I want. And I thought, I've never talked about Stephen. I want to talk about that dude. So I wrote it in, and then I spent the week kind of getting to know this guy. And I have to say, I am more and more impressed by what I found out. We're going to spend a lot of time in Acts chapter 6 and 7 today, as it says on the back of your bulletin. And those notes, by the way, are extremely condensed. I just couldn't stop thinking of reasons that this guy was awesome. So, I had the limited, and I think I have like five on there. But first, let's set up some background for his awesomeness. Jesus Christ has come, died, resurrected, and he sent the Holy Spirit. Okay? So, we've had that Pentecost moment where all the disciples come out and they're going crazy, and the whole crowd looks at him. And Peter gives his amazing, inspired Holy Ghost sermon, and the whole crowd is like, wow, this is amazing. Thousands of people are getting saved. Okay? We have the apostles walking down the street healing lame guys. We have the religious leaders throwing them in jail. We have angels breaking them out of prison. This is, I mean, it's going down in Jerusalem. It's crazy. And the church is growing fast, way fast, really fast. Day by day, God is adding to the number of believers. For the sake of clarity, we're going to go ahead and call them Christians, even though this is before they even had that name. So God is adding to the number of Christians day by day by day. They're blowing up. And then in this rapidly growing church, we have what happens in the beginning of Acts chapter 6. It says, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, and some translations say increasing rapidly. I mean, imagine a church you just couldn't stop from growing. You know, like, we, we don't have enough seats. We have to go to nine services. We can't fit everyone. The church is increasing. Amen? And we can split the preaching job when that happens. you don't know if you're interested. That's inside. I'm kidding. Sorry, I can't delete that. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenists or the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebrews or the Hebraic Jews. What's going on? Backstory. A lot of the Jewish people stayed put right in the promised land. They spoke Hebrew they went to synagogues that spoke Hebrew. Everybody went to temple. But then they go to this other thing called synagogue. It's a much smaller gathering. There were bunches of them scattered around the city. And that's where you'd get together with your Hebrew bros and you'd read portions of the Old Testament and then you'd discuss the implications and what it means. Lots of synagogues. The traditional Hebrews that stayed in the land spoke Hebrew, went to synagogues that taught and spoke Hebrew. Okay? But there were these other Jews that were really Jews. And they really were keeping the Jewish law. But they lived elsewhere in the world. And elsewhere in the world, they spoke Greek. So these were called Hellenists. And a lot of times, they had quite an affinity for where they were from in Greece. You know? You might hear one Hebrew Jew talking about how great Jerusalem is. And maybe this guy's like, have you ever been to Malta? Wow. It's fantastic in the spring. And so there's this tension, right, between... One sect of Jews and another sect of Jews. And in Jerusalem, the Hellenistic Jews would go to Hellenistic synagogues that spoke and taught out of a Greek translation. So, you have a tension of the minority Hellenists and the majority Hebrews. They're still Jews. They're not saying they're heathens, you know what I mean? But there's a tension there. Enter Christianity, the church. We have Hellenistic Jews getting saved. We have Hebrew Jews getting saved. Okay? That tension carries over right into the church. And right here in chapter 6, we see that there is a complaint that arises. Some translations will say, there arose a dispute. Man, that is not music to any church leader's ears, right? There is arising a dispute in the church. oh, crap. So, the Hellenists are complaining against the Hebrews because their widows are being overlooked in the daily distribution of food hey guys, you're not taking as good a care of our people as you take care of your own people. What's going on with this? They're grumpy about it. Like, a church split is on the horizon, right? And we're brand new, okay? So they grumble about it to the apostles, and the apostles say, hey, like, our job is literally to devote our whole lives to prayer and to teaching. Like, this is a worthy cause, but we can't stop doing what we're doing to oversee this, like, You're going to have to pick some people, okay? So they tell all the believers, right there in chapter 6, it says that they proposed it to everyone, okay? The 12 gathered all the disciples, Hellenistic uh, disciples and Hebrew disciples, and they say, come up with a solution. Pick seven guys, okay? So they pick seven guys. Let me actually look at my notes just to make sure, just to make sure. I don't even know why. Here we go. Yep, got it. They come up with a good solution. They say, pick seven men that are known to be or of good reputation, that are full of the Spirit, first priority, that was the prophetic word, they have to be full of the Spirit, and they have to be full of wisdom. Pick seven guys. Much to the early church's credit, the whole body of believers puts seven guys with Greek names in charge of the distribution of food. You see what they did there? They were like, guys, we still don't want you to think that we're neglecting you or hurting your feelings. We're going to let some of your people be in charge of this thing. We're going to trust you guys to be fair. That's pretty awesome. So maybe we can apply that in certain ways today. I, don't, I can't think of any offhand, but you guys are smart. We'll figure that out. So they come up with these seven guys, and Stephen is the first one listed. Now they all had to be full of the Holy Spirit, right? And they all had to be full of wisdom. The apostles are like, these are the kind of guys we want. Full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. But for some reason, when they introduce Stephen in verse 5, it says they chose Stephen. And then they reiterate, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. So they've already mentioned twice that he's full of the Holy Spirit. Spoiler alert, they're going to go ahead and mention it a third time before we're done with these chapters. And later they're going to say, not only is he full of the Holy Spirit times three, he's full of God's grace and power. Wow. We could end the sermon right there. And I could say, this dude's already a hero because he's full of the Holy Spirit and God's grace. He's already a hero. Do we see that? And in fact, in the Greek, when they said, pick seven guys who are known to be full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit, that word to be known is the verb form of the noun, martyr. (laughs) I know, it's weird, man. Uh, I looked at that and I was like, that's amazing. Martyr, by the way, just means witness, but it came to mean so much more than that, right? It came to mean the witnesses who were so faithful for Jesus that they would not relinquish their testimony no matter what. I read a commentary, I think it was F.F. Bruce, that says, this is really just backstory for the story of Stephen. But it's important to recognize that persecution never made Stephen a martyr. Just like persecution never makes anyone else a martyr. It merely reveals martyrs. That's, good. That's pretty good. I read that and I was like, Lord, I need to stop and pray. Was like, is that me? We need to talk. We're gonna. Okay, so he's a hero to start and he never loses it. Now I'm going to go into a very long dissertation about why I think Stephen is so awesome is this already way better and more encouraging than today? Yes. Hey Amen. Preach. Boy, boy. Pray for me, guys. Tomorrow. Service is at 10. Stephen is a hero because, well, he has a thriving relationship with God. This is point one. Reiterated three times, then a fourth time, he's full of God's grace and power. This is where it has to start. If any of us, including myself, ever start to think, I have to do something, to be worthwhile to God. I have to achieve something more so that I have God's favor. I have to blah, 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 blah. Let me just say, guys, literally, it's it's both not that simple and not that hard at the same time. Just know Him. Rest in His presence. Be full of His Spirit. Take time to worship. Take time to turn your thoughts to God in the quiet, you know? Moment by moment, day by day, in the decisions you make, bring God into it. Allow Him to lead you. Allow Him to lead you. The Bible says to keep in step with the Spirit. That means if the Holy Spirit is walking at a retail pace, you pick it up. And that means that if the Holy Spirit is sauntering and He's bouncing on His foot you know, before He is step, that means you slow down. Keep in step. That's the biggest priority in our lives. Because if we're doing that, everything else is going to fall on the line. Steve isn't a hero. He's a hero to start because he's got this. The whole early church recognized Full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom? Well, this guy for sure. Now we have to find six others. Right? That's kind of how the list is presented. Sorry, other six guys. I'm sure <laughs> you were great. That's how heroes are made. Thriving relationship with God. He's also a hero because he is 99.999% for certain a Hellenistic Jew who may or may not have been discriminated against By the Hebrews, and may or may not have felt discriminated against in this very episode, right? My people are being overlooked. The widows of my people, but you don't see any of that with Stephen. Stephen is a hero because he's not offended. Stephen's primary concern is being full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom and grace and power. He doesn't have time for offense. He's giving these people the benefit of the doubt. He never even seems bitter. You know? And along with that, I actually put it under a slash man, he's humble. This is a humble dude. Man, you know, again, I read, I stole Mark Morris's FF Bruce commentary. And uh, he points out this guy is qualified to do so much more than weight tables. I mean, this guy could do anything. And yet they approach him and they say, hey, this really needs to be done. Would you do this? And Stephen says, yeah, I can do that. I'll do that. Is that what you guys need? That's what you need? All right, I'll do it then. It's worth my time if it's what all of us need and I can fulfill the need. That's humility. Not offended and humble. Dang. That is amazing. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good heart. I almost added a story about myself, but I always hesitate to say stories that make me look good, and I'm much more free with stories that make me look like, an idiot. I don't know why. I feel like that's my credibility. But <laughs> I'll oh, give you one. I, mean, I, I will do that now that I said that. I, I would tell him if we were making too much of it. Oh. <laughs> in case the recording didn't pick that up, my mom is in the audience and says it's impossible. She's gonna let everybody know it's true. <laughs> All right. When I, you know, I'm standing up here preaching and it's almost surreal. I've got to be honest with you, you know, because when I came to New Day Community Church, I came because this awesome guy named Jerry Birch invited me. And he was my boss at Walmart, so I come and I find out they need help at the coffee counter. So I think I can do the coffee counter. I'll just make my coffee and I'll come early and I'll serve and I'll leave. And I was totally content with that. And Jerry Birch threw me under the bus to Graham McKay. And he's like, "This guy plays his guitar on lunch. He should audition for the worship team." And I'm like, "No, I don't need to do that," you know. And and my heart was like, oh, that seems like a lot. You know, I don't need to be in front of people. Like, I'm content just doing coffee. And he kind of really kicked me into it, to be honest. <laughs> Thank you, Jay. But I have found that I'm in a place of peace where I just am not worried about advancing at all. I'm in a place of peace where I just literally do not worry about moving up any kind of ladder, gaining any type of status, I am most at peace when I just wake up and I'm like, what do I have to do today? And we pray, okay, I'll do these things. And you just keep saying yes when God brings something up because you have a thriving relationship with him. And if it's a need that you can fulfill because you're humble and you do that. And then all of a sudden, you're first in the list in the book of Acts and, you know, history remembers you as a hero of the faith. And all you did was just be humble and not offended and live life with the spirit. Does that make sense? man, that sounds like my kind of career plan. Sounds like way less stress than striving and running and (laughs) trying to do all kinds of crazy stuff. Don't sign me up for that. He has a relationship. He's humble. He's not offended. And he's a bold evangelist. Really cool. We're going to move on to chapter 6. This is verse 8. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Anyone ever asks you or says to you, nobody ever did miracles in the New Testament except the apostles, you can politely raise your hand and all the grace and love you can muster say, That's a fat lie. <laughs> he, <did it. laughs> he had a great thing, <laughs> so I can do it too. <laughs> yeah, he's performing great wonders and signs among the people. And it'd be fair for you to ask me, Anthony, that's really cool, but that doesn't make him an evangelist. That makes him kind of like a miracle worker. Why do you say that? I think it's fair because he's performing the signs and wonders among the people. Whoa, it's not just a church, right? He's doing it out there. You know, maybe he's like a Todd White kind of guy. I don't know, There's no other information given, but he is doing amazing apostle-level stuff out in the world, and he's getting attention for it. He's being led by the Spirit, and this is what's happening. Opposition arises. Yay! Great opposition. But, you know, here he proves a different kind of evangelism. It actually names the synagogue that gives him trouble. It's the synagogue of the Freedmen or the freed slaves. Interesting note. He could have gotten in trouble with them while he was at synagogue. I was reading a commentary, and the commentator said, you know, they, they all probably still went to synagogue. The apostles probably still went to synagogue. He just met every week. You talked about the Bible as they had it then, and you expounded its implications and its teachings. Why would they stop that? Why would they stop immediately going to temple? You know? So Stephen, can you imagine him walking into your church like, let's imagine it's a small church, like 30 people, and in walks this powerfully filled with God dude, right? Who's known for performing miracles. And he walks in, and he starts telling you what he thinks those scriptures mean, and it is what you have ever been told those scriptures mean, you would have a problem with this guy, right? And in fact, we find out later that that's what he's doing. This opposition arises because in verse 11, he's been accused of speaking blasphemous words against God and Moses. Now, he wouldn't be a hero if he was a blasphemer, right? He wouldn't even be on my list. So we know that's not true, (laughs) But who else was accused of speaking blasphemous words against God and Moses? Jesus Jesus himself. Stephen is probably reiterating the very things that got Jesus in trouble. He is probably reiterating the very things that got Jesus crucified. At the end of his life, when he was being brought before the leaders, and he started getting accused of all that crazy stuff, remember? And they said, is this true? And he's like, yeah, you're right. And not only that, but you're going to see me seated at the right hand of glory. He's reiterating this. It's synagogue. Yeah, he's creating a stir, man. And they actually have to stir up witnesses that will say this. We're in verse 13. This fellow never stops speaking against this holy place, temple, and against the law. 14. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs... Moses handed down to us. He walks into synagogue, and he's like, Jesus changed everything, guys. Jesus is going to change the way we relate to the law. Jesus is going to completely alter the way we relate to this temple. Everything's going to be different. It should be different now. Guys, we need to change. We need to change. For all we know, he's the lone voice, you know, Preaching this message over and over and over again. We don't have the apostles recorded as preaching it. We have Stephen. Stephen gets it. He's foresighted, you know, or he has foresight. He understands everything has to change. And he's not ashamed of that message. He is not ashamed of the implications of the gospel, even though they are <clears throat> countercultural. And they're getting him in hot trouble. Hot water, big trouble. Spoke a little too quick there. <laughs> Now, that's bold, especially if you see where this is going. And I don't think Stephen was an idiot. He's full of wisdom. (laughs) He understands what this message did for Jesus, okay? He knows where that destination was. He probably remembers, pick up your cross and follow me. And he is 110% okay with that. Filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with grace, filled with power, filled with wisdom, Preaching to people about what it really means to be saved and what that means for your life. They bring him before the Sanhedrin. We're going into chapter 7, actually, the end of 6 now. They they actually seize him and they bring the witnesses and they're like, this guy's talking bad about Moses and he's talking bad about God. You know, talking bad about the law, which he no doubt was saying the law needed to be changed would be placed on Moses. Like, you talk bad about the law, you talk bad about our law given, you know, that's Moses. We love Moses, Yeah, you know, Moses, Moses is the best, you know, so he's smacking Moses. And if you talk bad about the temple, well, in that culture, guys, man, I couldn't believe when I read about it, I thought, oh, yeah, of course, oh, geez, i would never thought about it that way. They wrapped God's glory up in the temple, man. I mean, they thought that the national religious practice of going to temple and God's glory were kind of really bound up there, you know? That's where his glory rested. You know, we get to go meet him there. So if you start saying things bad about the temple, things bad about national worship, you're, you're messing with God's glory. You're talking bad about God. I mean, they did not have a hard time drawing that conclusion. And what's more than that even if people really liked this winsome, humble, not offended miracle worker, they might like him less if he started talking about the financial stability of the town. Because the temple was like the thing that kept Jerusalem running. According to the commentator I read, F.F. F. Bruce, the economic livelihood of Jerusalem and the temple were like unified. The temple went, man, it was like General Motors and Ford and everything, like, ceasing to exist. You know what I mean? Like, we're talking catastrophe. So suddenly they might like him less if they're like, Hey, I'm preaching a recession. Follow me right into a recession, guys. It's going to be great. We'll follow Jesus right into poverty, you know, (laughs) in Rome. We'll be begging on the street. We'll probably be dead before we're 25, and we'll have lice. Come on, follow me. (laughs) It's going to be great. So people are getting a little iffy about Stephen, you know. The high priest... And chapter 7, 1 looks at this guy. Now he's full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. He's humble. He's not offended. And we have no reason to believe he ever gets offended. He's full of grace and power. He's wise. Says that nobody could answer the wisdom the Holy Spirit was giving him. And the high priest just asks him one question. He says, Are these things so? Is this true? And now Stephen has an opportunity. He has an opportunity to give a defense. Now, if you're Stephen, and you're sitting there, and you know what you've been accused of, and you know what happened to Jesus, what is going to be the goal of your defense? I mean, think about that. Personally, don't yell anything out. But what comes to mind to me is first say, whoa, hey, guys, guys, guys. You got it all wrong. Look, this is what we really meant. Okay, this is what Jesus is actually talking about, guys. follow you know, Frank. Come on, Jimmy. You know me, right? This is going to be okay. I didn't really mean that. That is not at all what Stephen does. Stephen is a hero because he defends the faith instead of himself. He launches into a fifty-three verse historical retrospect. Outlining the history of Israel that is going to end with a punch in the face for the people that have the power to put him to death. And he knows it when he starts. But remember, this isn't an angry guy, okay? It's a humble dude who's not offended, full of grace and power. And he says, Brothers and fathers, listen to me. And then he outlines the whole history of Israel. And I would challenge you guys to read that, I am not going to read all 53 verses. It's real good, but it's also really long. Here's kind of the point He illustrates how God met people all over, not just in Jerusalem. God was with Moses in the desert and with Abraham way down in, you know, it wasn't Heron, it was Herb. You know, He's like, God, He illustrates the point that God wasn't confined. And then it illustrates a second point. It says, when God actually sent you people to listen to like Moses, you rejected them. And when God sends you the prophets, the people that are preaching about the righteous one, Jesus, you didn't listen to them, and then you persecuted them. And then he ends it with this conclusion. Man, this is like a three-page defense. He ends it by just offering one sentence to the temple. He says, yeah, eventually Solomon did make a temple, but... We know that God does not dwell (laughs) in houses made by human hands. Verse 48, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord, or where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? Could have stopped there because he just made two or three gigantic points. One, God goes wherever he wants. Two, you keep rejecting people that are telling you the truth, and the truth they were talking about was Jesus. And three, God is still anywhere he wants to be. He's not restricted to your temple. Oh, unsaid is you can't nail God down. You can't fix him in one place and say, ours. God is not in your terrarium. All right? God is still God. The earth is still his footstool. He's way bigger than you think. Had he just dropped the mic and walked away at that point, they could have had some fruitful conversation, and he might still be alive. But he didn't. And the reason he didn't is because he is so concerned for the nation of Israel that he's more concerned that the leaders of the people understand than with them possibly letting him go. He says, you stiff-necked people. Your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You're still not getting it inside, guys. You're just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law, that was given through angels, but have not obeyed it. He lays it all out. He's like, you guys are completely misunderstanding. Completely. Jesus was the Messiah. We've been waiting for this for thousands of years and you killed him. Just like your fathers would have done. It's time for you to get it. It's time for you to wake up, guys. He wants them to understand. He is witnessing to the court that is judging him. He is evangelizing the leaders of the people and the way they need to hear it. He's not taking the opportunity to get off the hook. He's trying to bring them in. That's crazy. Stephen is a hero because of his radical and astounding Christ-likeness. It's it's almost off the charts. It's almost weird how much Jesus and Stephen resemble each other in these last passages. Again, verse 54, it says that they're grinding their teeth at him. They're so irritated. And then our buddy Stephen who I'm just going to be real honest and send me an email if you think this is offensive. I'll, I'll handle it. I'll love you back. But at this point in the story, I had a thought that I'm going to share with you. And I thought, this guy's pretty BA. Right? <laughs> like, like Stephen is pretty tough. You know? As the faith goes, like, he should have, like, a leather jacket and sunglasses. And, like, that's like his inner man, you know what I mean? <laughs> Not scared. Wow. <laughs> He has a vision in the courtroom in front of the Sanhedrin. And he shares the vision. Now, there are some things that happen in the Bible that people cannot control. Like, there are some angels that show up, like to Daniel and uh, I think Ezekiel as well, and they're so overwhelmed with the presence of heaven. You know, read that fear. (laughs) Daniel's, the angel of the Lord's like, stand up. Daniel's like, I can't. (laughs) I'll give you the the strength to stand up. You know, but those are really only a few things that happen that people can't control. You can normally control the impulses of the Holy Spirit. The spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. So I believe that Stephen did not have to share this vision. But he did. And this is what gets him killed. All right? And I, I don't say that in a flippant way. I think he knew where this was going the whole time. But they look at him, already previously it is said that his face was like an angel, just that confident and that pure. And now this guy who looks like an angel looks into into heaven and says, full of the Holy Spirit. (laughs) He looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And then he tells them, look, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. He sees it, makes a decision to tell them, look I see it guys I see the heavens open and the son of man standing at the right hand of God, this is what got Jesus killed, when they asked him are you the son of God and he said, I am and you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of glory and that's when they took Jesus out and killed him Stephen sees the same thing in the court, they're grinding their teeth at him and he makes a decision, and says I'm going to do it. <laughs> Guys, look. I see it. Look. Open your eyes. Just like the beginning. Brothers and fathers, listen. Now he's saying, Look. I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Why was Jesus standing? Because there's a court going on in heaven as well. And the advocate is proud of his witness, he is proud of Stephen that's my boy, he's innocent, come be with me. He looks into the highest court and sees the approval of Jesus Christ himself. And if he had any here, it was probably all gone for sure then. Because they rush at him, they drag him outside, they didn't have the right to do this by the way according to Roman rule, they lost it. This is not the way a stoning is even supposed to go. And you can read about that. Like, they were treated as things that you shouldn't want to have to do, you know? I mean, the people that were being condemned were given an opportunity to confess. They wanted to make sure that they could still have a share in the world to come. I mean, it wasn't a pleasant task, okay? These people are freaking out. This is an angry mob. And they take him outside and they just start pelting him with rocks. And while they're stoning him, Stephen prays, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Don't gloss past that. While Jesus was on the cross, he prayed, Father, into my hands I commend your spirit. And Stephen prays, Jesus, into your hands I commend my spirit. Equating Jesus with God the Father. His dying breath, is a declaration of who Jesus is and his trust in him. But he's not quite gone. So before he checks out from this world, which is given such a soft and poetic nuance, it's amazing, he says, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And with that, it says, he fell asleep. Jesus prayed, forgive them, Lord. They don't know what they do. Humble, full of grace and power, full of the Holy Spirit, thriving relationship with God, not offended, not mad about it, bold to death, until the very moment of death, all that eeks out of this guy is Jesus. All that's coming out of him is the Holy Spirit. When they accuse him, when they're grilling him, when they're yelling at him, when they're staring at him when he's giving a defense, when they're hitting him with rocks, when they're yelling at him in the street, the only thing they get, push, shove, berate, it doesn't matter, is more Christ-likeness. Wow! Guys, that's a hero. And you know, he would have been a hero of the faith if this situation never happened. If he lived to be 70 years old, and he died in his sleep, but he lived this way, we'd be hearing about how awesome he was from God himself. We would hear from Jesus. He'd say, Have you met my buddy Stephen? Let me tell you what this guy did. Actually, he can tell you himself. We've had a long time. <laughs> Stephen is amazing. So, what's the conclusion? Stephen's peace and confidence in God was never shaken never shaking. We might read this story and think, yeah, that's great. I just don't ever want to be hit with rocks. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? And <laughs> let me just tell you, that's fair. That is absolutely fair. Jesus himself said, if they start to persecute you in one city, peace out, go to another one. You know, you're not supposed to chase this down. It's normal. However, however, this is a model of what Jesus does for his faithful people. Should that situation ever arise, If you are filled with the Holy Spirit, don't doubt that Jesus can give you the grace and peace to be filled with grace and peace until you meet grace and peace in person. God can give us the ability to be heroes, and we should. Be humble, be pure, be confident in God. And just don't lose that concern for other people. He gave a defense of the faith so that his accusers would understand. He forgave his executioners Because he was concerned for their souls. One of those people was Paul. Paul. Paul's first meeting with a person who's full of the Holy Spirit and living out what it means to follow Jesus is Stephen. You don't think that ran through his mind every day? They're probably hanging out right now. I wouldn't doubt it. Playing bocce ball or something. (laughs) <laughs> let's pray I need to get out this microphone Man. Oh, Jesus we love you thank you God Father thank you and Holy Spirit thank you for what you do often the unsung hero working in us and around us and through us we appreciate you God we want to be your heroes this is the end of this series Lord and I just pray that myself and everyone in here would want to be filled with your spirit. Let us want to be filled with you. Let us want to live in a relationship with you. Let us want to bring you into every moment of every day. Let us want to kneel down before you humbly. Lord, let us be comfortable in humility. Let us be comfortable in humility, Jesus. Let us be comfortable emulating you instead of trying to be someone we've decided we want to be. Show us who you want us to be because that person is a hero of the faith. Show us what it means to be your sons and daughters more every day. And if there's anyone here that doesn't know the Lord, today is the day to do that. Jesus, we're a sinner. We repent. You died to save us. Our lives are yours. You bought them. We give them to you because you earned it and you're worthy. Be our Lord. Be our Savior. My Lord. My Savior. And make me your child. A saint instead of a sinner. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Guys, there's a prayer team up front on the right. Feel free to bring any prayer concern at all to that. And other than that, you are dismissed. Thank you.